Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story, Inc., we welcome Josh Stinchcomb to the show. Josh is the Global Chief Revenue Officer of Dow Jones for Media and Marketing, where he oversees advertising and marketing solutions. Prior to this role, Stinchcomb held numerous positions at Condé Nast, including SVP of Corporate Sales, publisher of Condé Nast Digital, and most recently, Chief Experience Officer, where he oversaw branded content, experiential, and licensing. A member of AdAge's prestigious 40 Under 40 back in 2013, Josh is a regular speaking at industry events and an adjunct prof at NYU's Master of Science in Publishing program. Josh, welcome to the show. Jay, thanks for having me. You're making me feel old with that uh, 2013 reference, yeah, but uh, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You know, well, you know, I I, uh, I drop those when I'm like confident I'm like equal or older than the guests. So. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm in, I'm embracing my reality in nice. every way. Experience, my friend. So let's go there. I mean, back in 2020, uh, this is airing in January of 2021, Brand Story Inc. hosted a pair of your colleagues. We had Dow Jones Chief Analytics Officer Guthrie Collin on, as well as, we'll call him Paul T., the GM of Wall Street Journal's content studio, The Trust. And I'm not pandering to you, Josh. They were two of my favorites of the year because we really dug in deep on the intersection of content measurement and brand effectiveness. So it's a real pleasure to have you, the chief revenue officer, join us so we can kind of connect those dots. So let's start there. Explain to us your day-to-day responsibilities and maybe some context on the concentric circles with both the content studio and um, Guthrie's world and chief analytics. Yeah, no, well, you you, ha- you got two great ones, uh, both because they know a lot uh, about what they do, but also uh, it's a great frame, I think, for thinking about my world and, and how I uh, approach the, the market because they are the embodiment to some degree of the two ends of our ad barbell. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but to, to take a step back and, and just give you a sense of the, the, the day-to-day or, or the, the, the world I, I occupy. Um, so I, I look after, as you mentioned, the advertising business for – the media brands of Dow Jones. So that's the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and Market Watch. And we've got a team across sales and marketing and planning and creative and everything that, uh, uh, you know, addresses those brands in aggregate. Uh, although there are nuances and specializations mm-hmm. that we, we try to take advantage of. Uh, but you know, the, the tie that binds is that they are all business and finance oriented media brands. So we are, for the most part, really thinking about uh, business and investing audiences uh, and thinking about how we help advertisers and our partners engage uh, and add value to those audiences. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Paul, who you mentioned, who runs our uh, custom solutions division called The Trust, that is set up to help brands create content. Uh, or engage uh, as editorial sponsors or event sponsors in very high-touch, bespoke, uh, typically you know long-term ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's uh, that's the the solution side of the barbell, uh, and one that uh, has been a huge focus. You know, in the the near three years I've been there, uh, and bringing Paul on about six months ago, uh, you know, leveled it mm-hmm. up uh, even from from where we were. And then uh, on the other side of the solution set, 
uh, is something that we call the exchange. And the exchange is what houses are first party data driven ad products. It's where ad technology uh, does a lot of work. Uh, we are increasingly looking not only to leverage data better there, but to automate uh, the, the process uh, mm-hmm. around that to free up time to you know, spend on the, on the trust side of the barbell. So Guthrie, uh, our chief analytics officer, along with uh, uh, someone on my team named David Minkin, who is the, the GM of the exchange and runs our sales and planning operations teams, uh, is the is sort of the, the spiritual manifestation of the exchange. <laughs> so you kind of have in the two of them the, the two sides of the mm-hmm. solution set, which, you know, while distinct in terms of personnel, uh, they often intersect uh, in the service of our big clients. So, uh, you know, we get a lot of, uh, I think, our best work when we think about how we leverage exchange products and trust capabilities, uh, you know, on, on a singular program or effort with one of our brands but uh yeah that's uh you know that's kind of it in a nutshell and we're knock on wood uh, having you know great fun and great success doing it yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that really intrigues me i think with your colleagues in particular um just dow jones in general and has has just shown a proclivity to be able to actually do and talk about for our content studio executive audience is this peanut butter and jelly, if you will, of, you know, the trust and and data-driven content solutions and then the, you know, analytics and first-party data with the exchange. And so excited to kind of go there with you. I want to go back to something I read recently that that you were quoted on about media publishing and diversification. I think it was in a Digiday article um, where you said 2021, in your opinion, will be fraught with volatility and and uncertainty, which I agree, and that diversified revenue will be more important than ever. Yet that doesn't mean trying to reach and be more things to more people, but rather, I think the point was rather the contrary. So if you could explain that. Sure. Yeah. You know, look, I think 2021 will be volatile and uncertain and all of those things. Uh, If we've learned anything from 2020, uh, it's to expect that. Um, but I also think there will be pockets of success in the publishing space. And, you know, I, I tend to think about the the media space trifurcating between, you know, on one hand, the big tech platforms, mm-hmm. which undoubtedly will continue to uh, play a dominant role. And I would argue um, some of the privacy policy changes uh, are going to benefit them as a category, a mm-hmm. category of maybe three or four. Uh, and then you'll have what I call the haves. And those are the publishers who have a really focused mission, uh, a strong, ideally paying audience, uh, the ability to offer deterministic data to its ad partners. Uh, and that's the, the bucket, if you're not one of the platforms, that you want to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the third bucket is, I guess, everyone else uh, and I think it's going to be a tough, uh, a tough year, uh, if not more than year for for the folks that aren't in one of those first two buckets. And so, to your question, you know, what does it look like to be in that have bucket? It's not necessarily just about trying to be all things to all people. Quite the opposite. It's about recognizing what your core is or who your core community is that you're serving, and then super serving them. Um, deeply understanding them, adding value uh, to them in a myriad ways, uh, and, and really focusing. It's almost sort of the opposite of scale. And it's not to say you can't get bigger, 
you know, you can layer communities and get bigger. Uh, but uh, it's not scale for scale's sake. You're never going to win that game vis-a-vis the platforms. Uh, but you can be a really important utility for important communities uh, and, and not only survive, but thrive because uh, you create enough value to command consumer revenue and you create enough understanding and data mm-hmm. to command advertising revenue. And that's the, that's, that's, that's the strategy, at least for us. Well, you walked right down the path that I was hoping you were going to go down to because I'm admittedly biased in your favor here as a flag-carrying member of the Go Deep, right, as opposed to Go Wide. And um, so let's segue there about kind of community over content. You know, on, on Brand Story Inc., I think the organizations that have been on that have been the real winners tend to be ones that understand access to quality content is – somewhat of a commodity, but however, content that can cultivate community community is actually powerful on many levels. And I, again, pulling a quote from something I read that you said recently was, quote, uh, it's about a real return to core communities and how to preserve them, end quote. Explain what you mean by this to make sure we're on the same page here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you said sort of community over content, and I don't think it's an, an either or. Right. I think it's community stemming from content. Yeah, that's better said. Uh, that's what I was Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, we're, and there are, look, there are many ways to create community and extract community benefits uh, as a publisher. Um, I'm going to guess that content's going to be one of the tools, you know, at, at, at your disposal. And it's certainly for us, you know, a real foundation for these communities, which is creating content that is tailored to the specific community. And, and you know, like I said, we occupy some space, I think, between general news and, you know, deep financial trade publication. And mm-hmm. so we are already, uh, you know, specialized to a certain degree, but even within our content offering, there are layers that may not be obvious to, to you know, every reader. There are, you know, CMO Today is a content mm-hmm. vertical uh, oriented to CMOs. There's a daily newsletter. It's created by a dedicated room in, uh, group in the, in the newsroom. So, and there are, you know, many examples like that where we are really thinking about what content and, and more than content analysis and insight um, or more than news, rather, analysis and insight, do these folks need to do their jobs better? So I, I do think it sort of starts with content, but it, it can't end there, uh, because to your point, uh, even the best content in the world uh, is somewhat commodified, uh, you know, and, and only gets you so far. And so that leads you to, to think about how do I bring new dimensions into the community? And, and for us, you know, one of the, the, the next big C's is, is convening. Right, the ability yeah. to convene uh, these uh, folks who have an opportunity to share and learn from one another, uh, and that creates a, a peer-to-peer dimension that augments not only augments the the content part, it, it informs the content part. And and like you know, we'll do an event and bring together CEOs, and and they participate in really interesting conversations, you know, between our editors and and interesting guests, and and those conversations turn into news that get reported on and sort of fed back into the content experience. So there's a a virtuous a sort of cycle there, uh, but that convening power uh, and exploiting the opportunity to convene people uh, is, I think, the the next layer of community building and an equally powerful one, maybe as the kind of original us to them through content uh, part of the experience. And you know, and, and there's more on top of that, and we can talk about it. But yeah, Paul ahead. T and I touched on this, and because I, 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 but. Uh, before I go there, I, I want to ask you uh, maybe a step further. 
What does that look like for your lens, right? I was, you couldn't see my head nodding when you were talking about the power to use content to convene and convene equals kind of the next gen of, you know, you described a really good feedback loop. But as, you, as, a, as a CRO, right, and all these different media platforms that you have, where is it going? Where is convening going in 2021, 2022 from a place that you can build community and monetize? Yeah, well, you know, one of the places it's gone and I think will continue to, to occupy is, is sort of a virtual realm, mm -hmm. uh, right? So sort of sure. convening uh, in, in the virtual space uh, and we can talk about it. It's probably worth a, a little more discussion about the pros and cons of it because, you know, we've become a quite prolific virtual event company as we once mm -hmm. uh, were physical event company. But, you know, look, I, I think the 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 convening, like I said, it brings in a peer peer dimension. Uh, you know where it could go is uh, to places like career development to think mm -hmm. more, uh, you know, proactively about how do we use these moments not only to to edify people, you know, and inform them, but actually to make them better at their jobs and help them get that next job, you know. And so, um, you know, you you got these these sort of anecdotal examples of. Uh, people who at our events met each other and that led to this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden they got promoted in a new job, but can we be more sort of um, decided about that? So how do we bring in a, a development or career development component to these communities? I think there's a credentialing opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have that in some instances. So, you know, around our Barron's brand, uh, we convene top financial advisors, you know, dozens of times throughout the year in various iterations. Uh, and it's largely on the back of the Barron's rankings where we rank the top advisors and the top female advisors and the top team advisors, et cetera. That credentialing not only establishes a sort of a, a sense of parity and credibility when they're all in the room together at one of our events, it's a badge that can be used sort of in the wider world. Like there are, you know, major wealth management firms that like on their website tout, we have 200 Barron's advisors at the firm, yeah. you know? So, yeah. uh, and that uh, reinforces, you know, the, the, the importance of the community. Uh, and, and, and those are the kinds of things that uh, I think are possible, you know, in many of the communities we serve. And I think in some cases we're doing all three of those things really well. In some cases, maybe we've nailed two and need to develop a, a third. But, um, you know, to, to stick with the alliteration here, mm -hmm. it, you know, you think about, okay, what can we bring to communities? It's content, it's convening, it's credentialing, mm -hmm. uh, it's career development, potentially, it's commerce, right? You know, mm -hmm. what are all of the things we can do to enrich it? And so man, that's very... You're that's good, our, that's man. Our, that's our focus. Well, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. racking my brain for C words here. You're like, yeah, yeah. You're like I know, yeah. We're playing the game. Because well, uh, I think um, one of the things that Paul and I talked about, though, because what I'm about to say is a little esoteric, so I'll dip my toe, and if you want to go there, you go there before you can pull back. Yeah, so and, it probably worked for Paul, went to Harvard, you see, so he probably understood what you were talking about. I'm, uh, no, but, we, it down, but so. I, think, I think one of the things that's exciting for a company like yours, right, who has such this – barbell mentality, as you called it, right? Where you have such rich data that it's like insights within insights. And so one of the things Paul and I talked about, I think we used the example, he said something along the lines of like, look, we know who consumes our energy content on a daily basis. Pick, you know, and this could go for, pick a category, right? right From the Wall right. Street Journal, for example. Um, but that notion of like, okay, we know, yes, they're coming to consume the content and we may be able to get to convene them on kind of leading trends, but what are the insights that 
maybe they're they happen to have a proclivity to be classical musicians or love violin and like so like and, I should, and you know what all all energy people are in fact classical musicians too you you hit on a real one that's good yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's just like right it's just one of those things where it's like okay that um and then when you can kind of match an unmet niche within something that kind of goes deeper like those are the uh, potential ingredients to kind of go from you know I think that I think that's right. I think that's right. That that's how you know. Look from a that's how you turn kind of a you know six figure deal into a seven figure deal with that mm-hmm. kind of aha moment. And to your point, you know, we have a good understanding of our audiences. We're benefit from having a a relatively large sort of logged in self identified you know reader base. Uh, we have really good tools to understand how they're spending their time and what they're spending their time on, mm-hmm. and that's you know, often affirmational to your point of kind of what you'd expect, but the fact that we know it and can find them, you know, we have a, a really, you know, good standard ad offering, but then there are those nuggets where you recognize, wow, you know, CFOs are also really interested in X and that opens up a whole new channel mm-hmm. uh, of both, you know, potential inventory for, for an advertiser to take advantage of, or uh, a really interesting idea that could be the 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 germ of a smart custom content program that's mm-hmm. going to kind of stand out from what everyone else is doing for CFOs but still resonate and so you know we're always looking for that you know kind of uh sort of lateral leap uh that that we might be able to uncover uh that's going to be uh you know something that unlocks a a, a big program or a, a really big insight. And, and sometimes it's not even, you know, uh, sort of something lateral. It's just going in deeper to say, look, we know they're, mm-hmm. you know, interested in these general topics, but is there something in particular that seems to be kind of keeping them up at night, uh, yeah. so to speak? Uh, and how can a brand, you know, then alleviate some of that anxiety through content or, um, you know, an event around a certain topic or, gosh, we should really bring in some speakers on x because mm-hmm. this seems to be the thing that's creating creating you know agita among this community and, and we can be the solve and um you know that's that's the key right you want the, the from an advertiser's perspective you want to add value to the goings on not just you know stand next to it and say look at me right it's, it's yep. sort of like yep. if we do our job well you know and this you know this may be the sort of ideal uh, that you never fully reach and certainly don't reach every time you know you're not just saying hey buy this because you know it's got all the right ingredients you're like here join this thing right and you know do do something that augments what the 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 journal newsroom itself is doing and what the peer-to-peer dimension is bringing and and create a truly third you know dimension Mm -hmm. uh to 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 the community and you know that's 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 what you strive for and like i said you don't have to be perfect every time you just always have to be thinking that way and you're going to be frankly better than most of the alternatives well your alliteration skills are pretty awesome so i want to jump back and i loved your lateral leap but i'm going to go back to the letter c here and touch on a topic that i can get a little touchy on and that's communication and i think communication specifically around um, content studio functions right in in your case the trust and, and others within organizations i believe like when i'm talking to other executives one of the key pitfalls I see is the organizational understanding of the ROI of content and content studio functions, particularly for non-media companies, right? When you get into yep. brands that are doing this and, and really that alignment around the C-suite on how the content achieves business priorities. So I'm curious as a CRO, 
you're likely often in a position to opine on what gets greenlit and what doesn't. How has your C-suite aligned around these topics and what advice do you have for others as they're trying to navigate that alignment around how content can impact the bottom line? Yeah, it's a, it's a, look, it's a great question. And to your point, you know, being inside of a media company, the, the, you know, the hurdle to get the importance of content as a concept understood is probably less than it is, a, right. than it is at an enterprise software company or mm-hmm. a bank or something. But, it, but it's interesting, you know, you, you bring up a, a, a fascinating dynamic that we're seeing more and more of, which is the d- need and desire for members of the C-suite to um, interface and understand one another better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, like the, you think about it, like CMOs and CIOs, I tend to think about in similar buckets, like they need to be able to articulate a vision uh, and secure budget for the things they want to do in either technology or communications that may not be kind of the native language of the CFO, yep. you know, or even the CEO. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, we, we are looking at the opportunity of like crossing these community streams in a way uh, to facilitate that kind of, of collaboration. And, and, and there's also a networking component. It's like CFOs want to be CEOs, right? So mm-hmm. like they want to mingle with CEOs. And so if I can make that happen back to the career development thing. So there is this, uh, I think, business need for members of the C-suite to find more common language. And, and so in so much as we could help that happen, uh, you know, that should help, uh, back to your specific question, CMOs, better articulate the importance of content. And, you know, I, I would almost sort of expand it and say it's it's the importance of of kind of content as a branding tool, branding in general, versus you get into this sort of performance versus branding sort of question too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the, in, the, in the B2B world, a lot of the branding is done via content, you know, it's um, versus a, a consumer company that's selling a product uh, where traditional advertising, you know, sort of saying, hey, look how great this product is and it will clean your clothes and do A, B and C like that works pretty well. You know, like you can articulate your your product uh, pretty well in a 30 second spot or in a, in a, in a you know, a magazine ad or mm-hmm. something, you know, in the B2B space, especially if you're selling sort of idea work, right, a consulting yep. space, you know, you almost you can't you can't express your bona fides without using some kind of longer form format, right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like content is the product, like thought <laughs> leadership is the product. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, I don't actually have as hard a time convincing companies in the sort of, you know, consulting services and financial services space to understand why they need to communicate via content than, than you might think. Uh, but yes, it is the age old, like, what is the ROI on this and how do I measure success and how does this tie back to new business? And, you know, that's, that's always a a challenge, but one, you know, as a CRO, it's in my interest to help my clients, you know, sort of, uh, evangelize inside of their companies, because if, if, if everyone comes around to it, uh, they're going to end up looking for people like the trust more often. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's to your point. It's like, if you look at brands, I recently had, um, the VP of all content marketing from, uh, capital one, Lindsay Hansen on, she was awesome talking about this topic. Right. And it's like, we're, we're seeing it in 2020 budgets get slashed. And if you're in the C-suite and you don't have an effectively communicated and you've got a content studio function and it got its budget cut, well, one of two things you either didn't have to your, all the points you just made right? Clear alignment and communication and non-business understanding. Or two, you weren't 
being able to show and communicate the business value, right? Like, or some combination thereof, right? And so I think it's just a, it's something that keeps popping up on these podcasts. And so when I get somebody like you, who's got the CRO title, it's a, it's an interesting perspective that you bring to the table. Yeah. Well, I, look, I actually think this is a sort of, I don't say a renaissance, uh, a re reassurgence of, of, of content because, you know, content marketing and branded content, mm-hmm. you know, kind of exploded and, you know, took off with the advent of the social platforms and everything. And then there, there was sort of this narrative that maybe it's oversaturated and uh, overinvested in. I think COVID and all the volatility and all of the focus from consumers on companies and what they stand for and what they're doing has made, uh, you know, content more important again. I, I, I actually think next year is going to be a, a really good year for mm-hmm. quote unquote branded content investment because companies of all kinds have to tell their company story beyond their product story because you know this sounds trite mm-hmm. but that's you know consumers are buying into a company not just a product yep. uh, and so you know you can't divorce your 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 kind of financial performance from your brand purpose you know mm-hmm. articulation mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. uh, I think there's going to be a a, a really uh, renewed focus on content. Now, whether that it means more people in-house content studios or it's going to benefit, you know, people like us or agencies. I mean, that's a really fascinating question. But the importance of content, I think, is becoming increasingly well understood at the same time that members of the C-suite are increasingly focused on being able to collaborate and, and communicate effectively. So, I guess that's a, a good a good context for the kinds of things you spend a lot of time thinking and talking about. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of steer the ship a different direction, a little more tactical, because I'm not I'm not sure if you coined the phrase, but on a 2019 Digiday podcast that I listened to, you discussed the post cookie apocalypse, right, from a website tracking perspective. I just love that phrase. So as we start 2021, where are we in the content consumer data consumer data game? Yeah, well, first off, you know, I'll quote uh, Mark Twain and say, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Like, the cookie is going away, but it's not gone yet. And everyone's talking about, you know, kind of this world. And it's important to be focused on it where you can't use third-party cookies. But there's still a lot of runway and opportunity between now and then. So that's just the first thing I'll say that, you know, just because something's eventually going away doesn't mean you shouldn't leverage it while it's still there. But, yes, in the long run, uh, you know, the opportunity to establish identity across the open web is going to be diminished, you know, for all of the reasons I think your, your listeners know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what does that mean generally? And, and what does that sort of mean for, for people like us? And I think, you know, it's one of the drivers of the, the trifurcation I mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to, uh, in some ways, embolden the big platforms who have their own sort of identity ecosystem. Uh, and it's going to bifurcate everyone else into kind of, you know, first party data having haves and haves nots, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so, you know, you, you as a as a publisher, really need to think about ways to incentivize self-identification from your readers, right? And, and a paywall is one, and paywall is a particularly good one because not only they're giving you their data, they're giving you their money, but I, I don't want to say no publisher with a paywall is going to make it because there are other ways that right. you can provide an incentive for, for people to identify who they are, log in or whatever it is, authenticate in some way. So, you know, everyone is rushing to figure out what those ways are. How can we get people to identify and then how can we encourage them to share more information you know, which leads you then to thinking about product benefits 
you know, that are predicated on being logged in, right? Personalization and all those kinds of things, um, you know, are incentives to to identify oneself. So, you know, we're we're in a relatively fortunate position. We are, you know, relatively first party data rich, uh, you know, at least among the, the mere mortals that aren't the the, the big platforms. Uh, but we could always be better. You know, it's also interesting to think like there are, you know, there's sort of the pub specific efforts and systems. And then there's sort of some industry groups and companies and entities trying to kind of establish a, a, a new framework for sort of what the cookie, cookies were, like an industry wide effort. And there's, you know, it's, it's interesting from where we sit to say, like, you know, if we kind of go in with one of these industry wide ones, are we you know, now commodifying ourselves again in the way that we previously were in a world of third party cookies that we didn't like. Uh, but if we go it alone, you know, is our ecosystem big enough to matter, you know, uh, or are we going to get just sort of ignored because we're not, you know, part of the thing that makes the buying easier. And I don't have the answer to that question. I, I, I again, if you are a publisher, that's got, uh, a really important audience and a deep understanding of them. I think you, you know, you can to some degree make yourself a must buy for certain brands, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then your own system can be adequate. Uh, and, and again, uh, then you put your sort of industry hat on and say, gosh, we, we need to band together. You know, if we have any chance of surviving in the, in the wake of, of, of the big three anyway. Um, and I think the balance of those things will, kind of depend on who you are and who you serve. Uh, and then there may be a, a solution that, you know, leverages both, you know, where you're you sort of all of the direct deals you do are from that core uh, and, uh, you know, depend on and value your identity. And then you have, you know, kind of collectives, you know, that create private marketplaces that use some more uh, universal identifier that, uh, you know, allow you to play in the programmatic space and, and, mm-hmm. and not get left behind. And so, um, you know, all like really fascinating things, but it's still, it's still nascent. The other thing that's hard is, you know, the, what actually will constitute a first party versus third party piece of data yeah. is not 100% clear, you know, because uh, in some ways the arbiters of that are people like Google who have, you know, vested mm-hmm. interests in uh, one outcome or another. So it's a little bit going after a, a moving target, but, you know, look, you, you do what you can. Uh, and in, in our case, that's, let's build as large a loyal and ideally paying audience as we can. Let's understand as much about them as we can. And then let's orient our advertising solutions to helping brands take advantage of that knowledge and identity. Well, uh, and that's where we're, that's where we're living. I think, you know, last question before I hit two just quick personal ones, but the last business question I have for you is, it, one of the topics is this ongoing pendulum swing between insourcing versus outsourcing as it relates to content. Now, clearly, in your company, right, which is a content company, um, the resources and understanding to all the reasons you you guys get it, right? There, there's, so there's the ability to create content. Uh, there's the ability to create all kinds of different tangential products and experiences within your company, and you have the, the resources to do so. So this is kind of like a multi-pro there's there's the you within right the dow jones ecosystem and then there's advice to others on the outside but as it relates to insourcing and outsourcing um you know the in-house agency for brands isn't a new trend but it's continuing to evolve so how do you view where we are on this topic of insourcing insourcing versus outsourcing and how do you look at it within your own company 
Yeah. Well, to, to your point, I mean, we're, we're a content company that, you know, if we outsource that, it would be like Porsche saying like, we do everything except make the cars. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so, so, you know, clearly we're going to, to have great, uh, acumen or hopefully we, we are you in do. content development you. and, you, you know, both in the newsroom and, and on the, on the, so more the commercial side. Correct. And so that's, that's core to who we are. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating question for, you know, brands, uh, who have a, you know, other day job, right. right. Who are producing cars or something right. else, you know, and I think there was already a, a trend towards some amount of, of in-housing content. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think it goes back to what I said, like as, consumers become more aware of and sensitive to like who a company is, not just its products. It's important that the company is telling a story uh, and it's crucial to their business outcomes that they tell it, you know, the right way. And so outsourcing that to an agency or someone else, you know, carries some degree of risk. And so I, I was seeing a bit of that trend already with what I'll call kind of purpose driven, you know, consumerism. Yeah. Uh, but COVID accelerated it because during that period, everyone had to react so quickly and, and be very sensitive to what was going on. And so even the latency of outsourcing a piece of content creation became, you know, risky. So yeah. like brands figured out, they also probably figured out they could do more than they realized with mm -hmm. fewer resources. And so I think like many things, COVID accelerated the trend that, that already existed. Um, so I, I do think you're going to see brands doing more of their, their, content work in-house or at least their thought work in-house you know they may then you know farm out certain elements of the production but i think the wholesale like hiring an agency or even someone like the trust to like come up with their positioning and their message uh -huh. points is probably uh not going to be the the norm you know i think right. that's to say agents like i think sure, agencies sure. will be used for other things right for strategy for yep. ed platform education right like no you know porsche is never not to harp on porsche here but you know porsche is never going to understand the nuances of facebook as well as a, as a media agency who's right. spending you know hundreds of million dollars and that's important i also think it's important for brands to have a sounding board you mm -hmm. know to avoid the the, the pepsi cola moment right. or whatever that was a few <laughs> yeah, years ago so i think there's still a need for collaboration uh, well, let me, let me happen. put this yeah. framework on. So, so I run a content agency, right? It's Teamworks Media is the day job here. And the way that we look at it is that it's like rate of change, okay? We feel comfortable in-house that as it relates to content, shape, size, format, platform, we can be at the front edge of adapting, right? Where we outsource is usually technology, right? And so yeah. from that, yeah. because the rate of change in the investment level is so quick, right? It changes all the time. And to, to the second you insource it, it's like, okay, there's an obsolescence factor there, right. especially totally. for a small agency. And so from your perspective within the Dow Jones ecosystem, like are there filters that you have in terms of like, if you look at ad tech or like some of the other, you know, things that may not be, you guys are really good at data, so you have some of those resources in-house. So there are other topics like that where you have a filter to say, you know what, this makes sense to go out of house versus in-house. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's probably similar to, to, to you guys. I mean, I think technology, uh, you know, is not sort of what we do necessarily every day and, and it mm -hmm. changes so fast. And, you know, a lot of it's responsive to changes in, in sort of the distribution points, right? You yeah. know, it's almost like you have to be like this. So that, that's the kind of thing we we, you know, would outsource, you know, certainly on occasion, if not often, you know, mm -hmm. it's the, and what we're, what we 
what we have uh, that other people don't is that deep understanding of our core communities, yeah. uh, an understanding of you know how to write or film for a business person who you know is mm -hmm. in the Wall Street Journal or in Barrons. We know they're coming to look for a certain kind of you know uh, sort of concise utility to help them kind of make a decision and help them trust the decisions that they make. So you know you you may and this is where the nuance of, of like the publishing studios comes in. It's like you know a brand may have a story they want to tell. But if you're going to tell it in the journal, you know, leave out the extraneous fluff like they right. want these three facts and they want to move on, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. that's an important understanding of that platform. Whereas, you know, uh, my my former employer, you know, Condé Nast, maybe if you're writing it for Vanity Fair, it's a bit more lean back and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of let's, uh, you know, let's let's add a dose of, of kind of aspiration and inspiration. So that, that nuance by publisher is important. And I think that's why the the publishing brand studios like the trust have uh, an important role but yeah. you know look we work with creative agencies and we work with other you know agencies like yours and we don't have to own every piece of it right. you know what i mean right. like maybe we're just providing the the like hey have you thought about it like this and mm -hmm. we actually have a product called trust direct which it allows you know brands or their agencies on their behalf you know to publish content you know, into our kind of native distribution ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And we'll just provide a little consulting. You know, you might yeah. want to cut this or you might want to do it like this. But, you know, there's uh, we don't have we don't have to own everything end to end. We just right. want to make sure it's valuable to to the readers and then everyone wins. Very cool. Well, let's flip personal. Um, these will be quick. Morning must time. Uh, clearly, you keep abreast of a lot of different industry trends as evidence in this conversation. So how do you do it? Who cracks your email inbox and or who do you follow on social media to kind of fuel your industry knowledge? Yes, well, it's so we we at Dow Jones we actually own a, another business called Factiva, which is kind of like a, almost a B2B search engine and you can set up, you know, kind of automated uh push notifications about companies you care about. So, you know, I've set up uh, a number of these around big clients and, you know, industries that I'm interested in. So I get kind of a, a curated mm -hmm. feed of the of the news from all over the world, by the way, uh, of, you know, things that I've, I've raised my hand to, to, to be interested in. So it's a it's a great B2B product that I'm lucky enough to sort of get access to uh, uh, because I work at Dow Jones. Uh, you know, the journal, uh, for obvious reasons, is, mm -hmm. a, is an early read. Our editor-in-chief, Matt Murray, does a morning email called The Ten Point, which is sort of the ten things you need to know for that day. It's sort of like a digital version of if, – if you, if you remember physical newspapers. No, if you look at the physical <laughs> Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. there's that left column that yes. says, like, what's news? You know, it's sort of like – and you, you know, you read that and, like, you'll never be embarrassed at a cocktail party. That's the way exactly. I think about that. So, you know, this is a, a, a version of that. Um, you know, the, the, the other dirty little secret is I have two young kids and I'm a, I'm a morning person. So I wake up before everyone else and I normally get one hour before my kids wake up. So that's my only time to like binge watch like mm -hmm. my weird, you know, medieval shows on Netflix and stuff. So <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I, I do spend part of my morning like strangely watching like, you know, tele serial television shows before the, the, the TV is taken over by the children and uh, I get into my day. But that's uh, there's, cool. a, there's a little glimpse into my world. Yeah. Last question for Josh Stinchcomb, and that is Bedside Bookstand. Did you have a favorite book uh, that you got to read for fun in 2020? And if so, what was it? Uh, you know, I wish I wish I could say I read more 
during this period than I did because we I all do. do. It's okay. Yeah, no it's judgment just, zone here. Yeah, my I, I, as a general rule, I, I like nonfiction I, or like historical fiction. And Me the too. last book I read actually was this book about the pilgrims. And I wasn't even sure how it kind of made its way to my, my, my bedside, but I, I read it and I was like, Oh yeah, and I crushed that book. And then like my wife's like, you know, that's the young teen version of that book. And I was like, Oh, okay. No wonder it was, no wonder it's so easy. I crushed it nonetheless. <laughs> but, uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I guess I read, uh, fiction oriented to, uh, you know, young adults, but, um, no, it's, uh, it was in fact that, but it was still interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's on the resolution list, Jay, for, awesome. uh, for 2021. Well, that's my sweet spot too. Historical fiction is my yeah. go-to so you know i'm i'm right there with you my, the book stack for me is, is a lot thinner than i would have liked it to have been considering the opportunities we had but josh stinchcomb chief revenue officer of dog jones i can't thank you enough for spending some time and, and sharing your wisdom with our audience thank you so much for doing this yeah it was great thanks uh, everyone have a well i guess it's the new year happy yeah. new year yeah all right talk to you later thanks for listening to brand story inc We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.